Ladies and gentlemen, recording from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of the one and only podcast known to the world as Sean's Sports Stop. Where Sean Tiplitsky gives his unique opinion on, on the, the biggest, biggest news stories in sports. That right there is the voice of legendary UFC ring announcer Bruce Buffer. Every time I hear his intro for my podcast, I get goosebumps. Anyone that watches the UFC knows how hyped he gets people for the fights during the pay-per-view events and UFC events in general. So it's such an honor to have him. And it's been a while. It's been almost three years now uh no sorry it's been over three years since he first did this intro for me i'm very proud of it it's really awesome i want to thank you guys for listening to the show i really really truly appreciate it we got a lot to talk about it's been a few days since my last episode college football mostly football in general college football and nfl uh, obviously the national semifinals alabama against cincinnati and michigan against georgia and then obviously today was Football Sunday. I mean, one of the wildest NFL Sundays I have ever seen. There is so much to unpack. But before I get into all that, I want to give a shout out to my betting podcast, the Lenny's Sports Gambling Podcast. So check that out. If you're into sports betting, I go over spreads, money line, you know, betting odds. Check out at Lenny's Picks on Instagram. I'm, I give out free picks every day. And, you know, I've had days where I go 18 and 2. I always have more wins and losses i hit a five leg and seven leg parlay today but i'll talk about that more on the sports on lenny's sports gambling podcast and lastly i want to thank crimson it for sponsoring today's podcast episode if you or someone you know has a small or medium-sized company that needs managed it services go to crimsonit.com tell them that you found them from the that you found them from the sean sports podcast and they'll give you a nice discount on whatever service that you need from them and with that, let's get right into it, starting with some college football. On my last episode, I talked about how it was funny that a linebacker for the Alabama Crimson Tide said that said that they are somehow the underdog coming into the matchup against Cincinnati, despite being in almost every national championship game since I was born and being the number one team in the country perennially. Somehow they were the underdog coming in, and yet now... Uh, Alabama's running back Brian Robinson is feeling confident about his team's title chances after the Crimson Tide topped Cincinnati in the college football playoff semifinals on Friday 27 to 6 saying quote we just know how to fight he said in the post-game comments on the ESPN broadcast we know how to fight until the end we know how to come together as a team as a unit we're just warriors we fight to the end with everything we do that's why we're going to win the natty and repeat interesting how they considered themselves underdogs a week ago and now all of a sudden they're title favorites <laughs> robinson earned that swagger though i have to admit he was absolutely lights out rushing 26 times for 204 yards against the bearcats for an alabama team that has thrown the ball at will on most opponents it was the offensive line and robinson that wore down a very tough cincinnati defense perhaps cincinnati was expecting a pass dominant attack from the crimson tide i mean 204 rushing yards i mean just this stat alone is insane brian robinson alone had 204 rushing yards while cincinnati as an offense had only 218 only 14 more total yards than brian robinson had rushing yards that kind of 
tells the story of the entire game and he's had an excellent season overall the senior rushing for almost 1300 yards and four touchdowns though he's often been cast in a supporting role behind players like Heisman winning quarterback Bryce Young and his duo of explosive wideouts Jameson Williams and John Mechie the third with Mechie done for the year due to an ACL injury and the Crimson Tide facing a pair of excellent corners in Kobe Bryant yes Kobe named after um, the legendary Kobe Bryant God God rest his soul uh, and Ahmad Gardner, the question came, was coming into the game was which players would step up in his absence. And it obviously was Brian Robinson. Um, so, yeah, that's that's um, that's that Michigan. I mean, Michigan's going to Michigan. Yes, they've had a switching gears, by the way. Yes, they've had an incredibly successful season. But what a disappointing end. I mean, I expected more. I thought Georgia was going to win, and they definitely did win. But I expected more from the Michigan Wolverines personally. Michigan's head coach, Jim Harbaugh, was keeping things positive after the Wolverines' 34-11 loss to Georgia in Friday's college football playoff semifinals, saying, quote, It was a great season. To me, it's one of the best seasons in Michigan football history. And he's not wrong about that. We were trying to make it a great. We were trying to make it greater tonight, but still a great season. It's still a beginning for this team. Michigan has claimed 11 national titles in its storied history, though none since 1997, and 43 43 conference titles. That is absurd. So topping its own history is tough to do, I have to admit. But the Harbaugh tenure was full of more promise than results before this year, as he had not led the team to a Big Ten title or win over Ohio State since taking over in 2014. That changed this year, though, significantly. As the Wolverines won 12 and 2, beat the Buckeyes, and won the conference. While Michigan was clearly overmatched against Georgia, it was still an excellent year for a team that opened the season unranked. 12 and 2 record, first win over Ohio State since 2011, so first win over them in a decade. Big Ten champions, Heisman runner up, and Harbaugh was the AP coach of the year. So it was an excellent season for Michigan, but I just felt like the way it ended was extremely underwhelming. I mean, yeah, Georgia was the number one team in the country for most of the season until they lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. But it was just just the way that whole game went. I expected more from Michigan. Again, I expected Georgia to win and win they definitely did. But I expected Michigan to put up more of a fight. Nonetheless, it has been an incredibly successful season for the Michigan uh, Wolverines. We got some more college football. So Georgia won, Alabama won, and we got a rematch of the SEC championship game for the national championship. Bring on the rematch. Georgia will be seeking revenge for their 41-24 loss to the Crimson Tide at the SEC championship. They'll have their chance at Indianapolis's Lucas Oil Stadium on Monday, January 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. No, that's not a commercial, not an advertisement. I'm just letting you guys know where to watch and here are the betting lines georgia despite losing 41 to 24 in the previous matchup just a few weeks ago is a minus two and a half favorite the over under is at 52 and a half georgia's money line is minus 145 while obviously alabama is a plus two and a half underdog and their money line is plus 110 now i don't know about you i have a feeling georgia wins this game i just have a gut feeling but betting wise i am absolutely smashing alabama plus 110 that is ridiculous um, there isn't much doubt that these two are the best teams in college football. Alabama, as I said, easily handled Cincinnati 27-6, showing a different dimension to its offense from the usual dominance of Bryce Young in the passing game. Um, and then George, I mean, putting up those type of numbers on the ground 
against a Georgia team that held Michigan to 84 rushing yards on Friday won't be easy. The Wolverines were grinding teams to, to absolute dust with their running game, averaging 224 yards per game on the ground. They put up 297 rushing yards on Ohio State and 211 on Iowa to close out the season, and Georgia barely gave them an inch. It was unbelievable. Um, it's the first game between the teams, in the first game between the teams, excuse me, it was Alabama's speed on the outside and ability to protect Young that was the difference. Jameson Williams caught seven passes for 184 yards and two scores. John Mechie third added six catches for 97 yards and a touchdown before exiting in the second quarter with a knee injury that turned out to be a torn ACL. So prayers up for Mechie. I hope he gets back soon. So that's your national championship matchup. Alabama is a two and a half point underdog against the Georgia Bulldogs. Let's see what we got next. We got some hockey, the Winter Classic, the coldest Winter Classic in the history of, or the coldest game, period, in the history of the NHL. The St. Louis Blues defeated the Minnesota Wild 6-4 to in the 2022 NHL Winter Classic at Target Field in Minneapolis to improve to 19-9-5 and maintain first place in the Central Division. For some reason, the Blues were a betting underdog. This was the Wild, it was the first game in about two weeks for the Minnesota Wild but even if it hadn't been, um, I've been betting ex extensively on the Blues this year, and I'm not sure that they've lost a single time that I've bet on them, so I went with them. The Blues were lucky enough to get several players back from injury for Saturday's game, including Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, and David Perron, who returned to the team for a 4-2 win over the Edmonton Oilers on, on December 29th. Oscar Sundqvist, Ivan Barbashev, and Pavel Bunchnevich also returned to the lineup against Minnesota, so the Blues got a lot of players back for the Winter Classic. Saturday's win was the Blues' second Winter Classic victory. They defeated the Chicago Blackhawks 4-1 when they hosted the outdoor event at the St. Louis Cardinals Bush Stadium in 2017. This time, though, it was hosted at Target Field, home of the Minnesota Twins, the base the MLB team. So, absolute, hu absolutely huge win for the Blues. Uh, in the cold, They're going down in the history books, the coldest NHL game in history. And with that, we got some more college football to talk about. Arkansas scored a 24-10 victory over Penn State in the 2022 Outback Bowl in New Year on New Year's Day at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. The Razorbacks, who improved to 9-4, staged a three-act season. A 4-0 start highlighted by an upset of Texas A&M, a three-game losing streak, and a 5-1 finish with the sole loss coming to college football playoff finalist Alabama. The bowl triumph caps a strong, strong year for the Hogs. The Nittany Lions, who fall to 7-6 or end the season 7-6, reached as high as number 4 in the rankings following a 5-0 start to the year that featured two wins over ranked opponents, Wisconsin and Auburn. They, but they then lost five of their last seven games during the season and failed to bounce back in this bowl game. So a very disappointing end to a very promising season for the Penn State Nittany Lions. And with that, we got one more or we got another bowl game to discuss. Uh, the number nine Oklahoma State Cowboys scored 30 unanswered points, 30 unanswered points, including overcoming, I should say, a 21 point deficit and spoiled Marcus Freeman's debut as Notre Dame's head coach. I mean, that's the fact that he was put in a position to ha to coach his first game in a bowl game is absolutely ridiculous. Um so yeah, they beat the number five Fighting Irish 37 to 35 in the Fiesta Bowl at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Everything, absolutely everything went wrong for Oklahoma State for much of the first half, but quarterback Spencer Sanders hit his stride and threw three consecutive touchdown passes to Tay Martin to tie the game in the second half. All told, Sanders finished with 371 passing yards, 125 rushing yards, and four passing touchdowns. Playing in his final collegiate contest, Notre Dame senior quarterback Jack Cohn 
turned in a great performance in his own right with a Fiesta Bowl record, 509 passing yards to go along with five touchdowns and one interception. But that was somehow not enough to knock off Oklahoma State. It was less than an ideal start to Freeman's career as a head coach after he took the took the reins from Brian Kelly, who left Notre Dame for LSU. That was covered extensively on previous episodes of my podcast. With the win, Oklahoma State finished the season 12-2, and which is their best record since going 12-1 and in 2011. The Irish fell to 11-2 and in defeat, and I think I saw a stat where the Notre Dame was like 0-10 in their last 10 bowl games or some ridiculous stat like that. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but with that, we are switching gears to another bowl game. This one was absolutely wild. The number six Ohio State Buckeyes defeated the number 11 Utah Utes 48-45 to in Saturday's Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California to finish the 2021 season with an 11-2 record. The Buckeyes entered with a chip on their shoulder after missing out on the college football playoff for the first time in three years. The test, uh, the last time Ohio State took the field, Ryan Day's squad was embarrassed, absolutely embarrassed against the aforementioned 42-27 against the aforementioned Michigan Wolverines. Saturday's game was Ohio State's 16th appearance in the Rose Bowl, entering with an 8-7 record in Pasadena. It was also the Buckeyes' first game against the Utes since 1986. They won that game 64-6. This one was a lot closer. Utah jumped out to a 14-0 lead, but Ohio State stormed back and edged out the victory after Utah's quarterback went down. What a game for C.J. Strude. Video game-like numbers. 37-46, 572 yards, 6 touchdowns, 1 interception, and he also had 1 carry for 10 yards. Absolutely insane. So Ohio State is this year's Rose Bowl winner. And we got some soccer to talk about now. Um, Lionel Messi was among four PSG players who tested positive for COVID-19 on Sunday. Quote, the four players that tested positive for COVID-19 are Leo Messi, Juan Bernat, Sergio Rico, and Nathan Bitumazala, the team said. They are currently in isolation and are subject to the appropriate health protocol. All four players will miss Monday's Coupe de France round of 32 match against Van. In his first season with PSG, Messi has recorded only one goal in 11 League One matches. Very underwhelming. He's been far more successful in the UEFA Champions League, though, which is very strange to me because I'm not sure if you know, but the UEFA Champions League is the highest level of soccer in Europe. It combines teams from multiple countries, basically a tournament of the best European teams, while League One, the league that PSG plays in, is the French League. PSG is by far the best team. And the other teams are, for the most part, vastly inferior. So to see that Messi has been more successful in the Champions League, vastly more successful in the Champions League than in League One, is surprising to say the least, as in the UCL, he has five goals in as many appearances. But it has not been smooth sailing for the 34-year-old legend. Messi joined PSG during the summer transfer window after his new deal with Barcelona was blocked because of the club's financial situation. Like much of the world, France has been dealing with a rapid spread of COVID-19 because of the Omicron variant, or the moronic variant as I like to call it. The country recently announced limits of 2,000 fans for indoor events and 5,000 fans for outdoor events in in an attempt to quell the outbreak. But we've seen how attempts to quell outbreaks have went. But hey, that's just me. So hopefully Messi and the other three players recover and everything will be good. And I have absolutely no doubt that that will be the case switching gears back to the nfl the chicago bears are reportedly likely to fire head coach matt nagy at the end of the 2021 season according to nfl network the team is reportedly quote expected to begin its search for nagy's successor after week 18 cbs sports 
also reported the Bears are one of three teams along with the Vikings and Broncos that have had quote internal discussions about their head coaching situations and are preparing to conduct the search at the end of the season not sure why the Vikings are included in that I mean yeah I could see it might be time for a change from Mike Zimmer but the Vikings are a perennial playoff contender the Bears on the other hand are not uh, the Bears have never fired a head coach midseason and don't appear ready to start with Nagy. Yeah, that's surprising. I could have sworn they fired a head coach midseason just the other year, but maybe I'm thinking of a different team. Nagy has said he is working on the assumption that he will coach the final two games of the season per ESPN. The fact that he's saying that in the first place makes it seem to me that he knows he's going to get fired after this season. So yeah, the Bears closed the year with a road game against the Minnesota Vikings. The 6-10 and team has already been eliminated from the postseason, however, providing little opportunity to change the organization's mindset, you know, regardless of what happens. But I don't think Matt Nagy is that terrible of a coach, me personally, but I, you know, I can't really speak because I'm not a Bears fan. I don't know him that well. Speaking of Bears... <laughs> Now, this doesn't really make sense, but when uh, when Aaron Rodgers posted a meme of the last dance on, sh- on social media over the summer, it was not just a subliminal message to the Green Bay Packers. Apparently, it was a plan. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network reported Rodgers entered the 2021 season with the plans of leading the Packers to a Super Bowl and then immediately forcing a trade to another team. It's unclear whether that is still Rodgers' stance, with Rappaport noting that, that his relationship with the Packers front office has improved. I mean, I would imagine that a team that's 12-2 and two on the year, or whatever the record is now, it's tough to be disgruntled in that kind of situation. But, but that's just me. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, as much as I love the guy, as great as he is, he has a talent of finding something to be upset about, no matter what it is. There's, there's always something that Aaron Rodgers will be upset about. Um, but yeah, Rodgers spent the 2021 offseason in a stalemate with the Packers as he tried to force his exit over displeasure with the team's front office. He eventually reported on the day training camp opened after reaching an agreement with the Packers on a restructured contract that will avoid after the 2022 season. The team also agreed to revisit Rodgers' future with the organization this upcoming offseason. The arrangement essentially put the ball fully in Rodgers' court, and the reigning MVP said he has no plans to prolong the process, saying, quote, I'm not going to hold the team back from anything, and once I commit, and if it's committing to move forward here, it will be a quick decision. Rodgers is in the midst of another MVP caliber season. I would say he's the MVP favorite at this point, throwing for almost 4,000 yards and 33 touchdowns against only four interceptions. He missed one game after testing positive for COVID-19 and has since made headlines for making a series of inaccurate or what many people consider to be inaccurate and misleading comments about vaccinations. I tend to agree with Aaron Rodgers, but that's a different story for another day. And we got more on the Green Bay Packers, more on the Green Bay Packers, the Green Bay Packers. Did I mention we're talking about the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> the Green Bay Packers are reportedly expected to use their franchise tag on wide receiver Devonta Adams this offseason. NFL Network reported the tag is viewed as an, quote, eventuality before the Packers try re-engaging Adams in long-term contract talks. The franchise tag would cost roughly $20 million, a more, a more than reasonable number for a player of Adams' caliber, but tough to swallow under Green Bay's current cap situation. The Packers are slated to be $37.6 million over the 2022 cap without accounting for Devontae's contract. Interestingly, though, going back to Aaron Rodgers, trading Aaron Rodgers may give Green Bay the best chance at keeping Adams. The Packers would save $19.3 million on their 2022 cap by trading or releasing Rodgers after this season, which is by far their biggest potential source of savings. And if Rodgers is keen or inclined to force his way out of Green Bay, 
then perhaps this would ensure Green Bay to keep um to keep this would ensure Green Bay to keep Devontae Adams. Uh, Green Bay could also greatly lower Rodgers' cap hit by signing him to an extension with several avoidable years. But again, that's if he decides to stay, if Rodgers decides to stay. With the Packers, what do we got next? We got the Seattle Seahawks. It's been a horribly disappointing season for the Seahawks. And it might be the end of it. We might be approaching an end of an era in Seattle. There is reportedly a feeling around the NFL that either Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson will be leaving Seattle this offseason. That's shocking. I mean, as long as I've watched football, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll have been together with the Seattle Seahawks. As much as I hate them, you know, it's it would be sad to see them break up, essentially, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, Adam Schefter of ESPN reported both the coach and franchise quarterback face a, quote, uncertain future heading into the final two weeks or final week of the season. The Seahawks beat the Lions uh, earlier today. A Wilson-Carroll breakup has seemingly been years in the making. The two have clashed over the vision for the Seahawks' offensive scheme, with Carroll preferring a run-dominant approach and Wilson, want, and Wilson wanting to be given more opportunities to air it out. The Athletic ran a long-form report on the de- deterioration of the relationship between Wilson and Carroll last February, which sparked trade rumors surrounding the franchise quarterback. Agent Mike Ro- Mark Rogers told Schefter at the time that Wilson would, would waive his no-trade clause to play for the Dallas Cowboys, New Orleans Saints, Las Vegas Raiders, or Chicago Bears. Jordan Schultz updated Wilson's list of potential destinations in December, with the Saints, Broncos, and New York Giants making the cut. While no trade came even close to materializing last offseason, Wilson acknowledged this week that he may be playing his final game in Seattle on Sunday, saying, quote, I know for me personally, I hope it's not my last game in Seattle, but at the same time, I know it won't be my last game in the NFL. What a what a big statement that is. So I'm just focused on today and getting better today. So that's my focus and that's my goal. I love this city and I love this moment. I love these guys. We've got to make sure we get better today. That's the only thing that matters. What a classy statement from Russell Wilson, as much as I hate the guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens with um, with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. What else do we got? We have to talk about Antonio Brown. I mean, this is this was one of the most bizarre, absolutely bizarre things I have ever seen watching sports. Uh, I'm sure if you watch sports at all, you've heard about this. This probably made the mainstream media as far as news as well. Antonio Brown's run with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and perhaps in the NFL, definitely in the NFL as well, is over. I mean, absolutely over. Um, head coach Bruce Arians said, quote, he is no longer a Buck. Um, if you don't know, Antonio Brown removed his jersey and left the field midway through Tampa, Tampa Bay's 28-24 to win over the New York Jets. Um, Jay Glazer tweeted, quote, just talked to Bruce Arians, who said he was trying to get AB to go into game and AB refused. Tried again. Brown refused and Arians told him to get out on on if he saw AB take his jersey off. He said, yeah, I did. Never seen anything like it in all my years. When Bruce Arians says he's never seen anything like it in all his years, you know, some crazy shit went down. Um, yeah. And then Bruce Arians also said she, he told an ESPN reporter, I'm not talking about him. He's no longer part of the Bucks." Uh, it, it was just a bizarre, a bizarre situation. And since then, Antonio Brown tweeted and posted himself on Instagram in, in a jacket with the caption, Super Gremlin. Um, Tom Brady was one of Brown's teammates to speak on the situation after the game. And if it wasn't, if we're being honest, if it wasn't for Tom Brady, Antonio Brown would not be in the NFL right now in the first place. 
he Tom Brady is the only reason that Antonio Brown was on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first place. Brady said, quote, uh, that's obviously a difficult situation. We all love him and care about him deeply. I think everyone should be compassionate and empathetic towards some very difficult things. Le'Veon Bell said he tried to text Antonio Brown after the game, says he was happy to be his teammate again, and now this, it's tough, he said. Brown's departure was so unprecedented that stadium security almost confused him for a fan as he left the field. That's how crazy he was. And there there have been some theories as to why he why he did this. You know, some of them were about somewhere that he got into an argument with a coach or, or a teammate. Others, other people pointed out that he was very, very close to reaching a million dollars in extra bonuses due to on-the-field performance incentives. Um, but then if that was the case, why wouldn't he just try to play and accomplish them and, and, and play in week 18, you know, with the extra week this season? <laughs> So Lindsey Jones tweets, quote, this sideline report is incredible. Stadium security thought there was a shirtless fan on the field and intended to tackle him before they realized it was Antonio Brown. That would have made things even crazier than they already were. Outside perhaps of uh, Vontae Davis choosing to retire at halftime during a 2018 game, it's hard to remember a more bizarre mid-game exit from a player. I mean, I don't think I've seen anything more bizarre in an NFL game, period. But Brown's time in the NFL has been full of team, absolutely full of team-related drama. So it's not surprising to me at all that he left football in the most dramatic and loud way possible, the most Antonio Brown way he could. On a serious note, I think Antonio Brown has brain damage. I think he's suffering from CTE. Um, I can't find it now, but I remember before he joined the Buccaneers with all the controversies that, he, that he's been involved in with the Steelers, Raiders, and Patriots and everything off the field. I truly hope he gets help. I truly hope that so, that he gets help. I mean, that's all that's all that it comes down to. He 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 was for many years in my opinion the best wide receiver in the world. Incredibly talented, seemed like, you know, a cocky dude but not a bad guy. And then when he got decked by Vontae's perfect several years ago and knocked out, it seems like everything kind of went downhill since then. And it's it's incredibly sad to see. I truly hope we don't have another Aaron Hernandez type situation on our hands. I truly hope. Uh, Andrew Siciliano tweets, quote, Antonio Brown quit on the Steelers his last week in Pittsburgh. Antonio Brown quit on the Raiders. Antonio Brown quit on the Buccaneers. And all of that is true. Jason Cole tweets, quote, Antonio Brown's legacy is that he freaked out while playing on teams with Roethlisberger and Brady. What if he ever had to play with a crappy passer? That's true. I mean, that's a good point as well. As Spotrack tweeted, quote, AB needed only eight more catches for a $333,333 bonus, 53 receiving yards for the same bonus, and only one more receiving touchdowns for that bonus. So he could have made an extra million dollars in on-the-field incentives had he not done this. Now let's talk about his other off-the-field issues that I mentioned. They've been talked about on this podcast extensively, but in case you need a refresh or you haven't heard, off the field, Brown allegedly assaulted a moving truck driver in January 2020, pleading no contest to felony burglary with battery and two misdemeanors in July in June 2020. Prior to that, Brown's former trainer, Brittany Taylor, said in a lawsuit in September 2019 that he sexually assaulted her twice in 2017 and raped her once in 2018. Another woman then told Sports Illustrated that he made an unwanted sexual advance toward her in 2017. Taylor and Brown reached, reached a settlement in April 2021. In an ironic twist, Brown told reporters after last Sunday's game that the media is responsible for creating drama around. Of course, it's the media's fault. It's not his fault. Of course, it's someone else's fault. 
He said, quote, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, he said when asked about his three-game suspension for having a fake vaccination card, you guys are all drama. It's all about football. We're going to talk about Carolina or I don't talk to you or I don't want to talk to you. It's a lot of drama you guys create, a lot of drama people create who want stuff from me. That's a part of life, a part of being in the position. I can't control what people want from me, what people write about me. So yeah, that's most likely the end of Antonio Brown, in with definitely the end of him with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and most likely the end of him in the NFL. Again, it's very sad to see, but I truly hope he gets the help he needs. On a brighter note, what a story this is. LaMelo Ball's record did not last very long. Oklahoma City Thunder guard Josh Giddy finished with a triple-double, registering 17 points, 14 assists, and 13 rebounds during today's 95-86 loss to the Dallas Mavericks. It was quite the showing for the rookie, although it was not enough to overcome OKC's general issues on the offensive end during a low-scoring affair. Giddy broke LaMelo's record as the youngest player in NBA history to finish a game with a triple-double um, at uh, 19 years and 84 days old. LaMelo Ball was... Oh, wow. That's interesting. LaMelo Ball was 19 years old as well. Previously, the record was held by Markel Fultz, and before that, Luka Doncic, and before that, uh, Lonzo Ball. Interestingly enough, Markel Fultz, Luka Doncic, and Lonzo Ball all registered their first career triple doubles against the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> I find that you know a little interesting, a fun fact. Giddy turned 19 years old in October, while Ball turned 19 in August 2020 before his rookie season. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets... Guard's first triple-double came as a rookie in a January win over the Atlanta Hawks, although he got a later start since the beginning of the schedule. That season was delayed because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But nonetheless, Giddy is a great player, and he has a very bright future in the league, and it's great to see It's great to see all this success. With that, we are going to transition to the NFL playoff picture through Week 17. Let's see what we got. So in the AFC, we got the Tennessee Titans at number one at 11-5. The Kansas City Chiefs behind them also at 11-5, losing to the Bengals today. The Bengals then are right there after them at 10-6. The Bills are also at 10-6. Patriots, the five seed at 10-6 as well. And then 6-7 and seven are the Colts and Chargers at 9-7 apiece. The Raiders, though, are knocking on the door also at 9-7. Steelers are hanging around at 7-7-1. Seven, seven and one. And the Ravens are at 8-8 eight and eight as well. The Dolphins at 8-8 eight and eight have been eliminated from playoff contention. In the NFC, we got the Green Bay Packers at 13 and 3. The Los Angeles Rams at 12 and 4, baby. Five game winning streak for the Rams. Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the same record at 12 and 4. 4 and 5, the Cowboys and Cardinals who played each other today, both 11 and 5 after the Cardinals win over the Cowboys. Then 6 and 7, we got the Niners and Eagles at 9 and 7 apiece. And lastly, the New Orleans Saints hanging around at 8 and 8. So, first off, the Chiefs' loss to the Bengals opened the door for the Titans to claim home field advantage in the AFC after their win over the Dolphins uh, today. Tennessee holds the tiebreaker with the Chiefs because of a head-to-head victory from Week 7. The Titans have already won the AFC South, but an opening round bye would give them a, 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 a breather, a big breather while starting running back Derrick Henry recovers from foot surgery. According to ESPN, Henry returned to, to the practice field last week and could be ready next week if they need him to be. But they don't need him to be, as they could beat a four-win Houston Texans squad without him, m- most definitely. Should his recovery remain on track, he might be able to take on a normal normal workload by mid-January. If Tennessee can finish atop the AFC and welcome back their best offensive playmaker for the postseason, they'll further entrench themselves as a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but I don't think they'll win the Super Bowl. 
The Bills and Patriots have identical records and split their season series, but Buffalo holds the tiebreaker because of a better record within the division. In Week 18, the Bills can win the AFC East with a victory over the New York Jets. If they lose and the Patriots beat or tie the Dolphins, the Patriots would move into the top spot in the division. The Patriots will go on the road for a tough matchup against the Dolphins. Miami beat New England 17-16 in the first week of the season and won seven consecutive games before they lost to the Titans today. Meanwhile, the Bills will host a four-win Jets squad that got absolutely destroyed by the Bills 45-17 in Week 10. Though Buffalo had a head-scratching loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars in Week 9, quarterback Josh Allen has three straight wins against Gang Green. Coming off a subpar performance against the Atlanta Falcons, throwing for only 120 yards and three interceptions, Allen should bounce back against the Jets' 29th-ranked pass defense. Next up, what a game this will be. The Raiders have gone through an absolutely chaotic season. Former head coach John Gruden resigned after Week 5 because of racist, misogynistic, and anti-gay emails dating back to 2011. The team waived Henry Ruggs III after his involvement in a fatal crash for which he is facing DUI resulting in death and reckless driving charges. Star tight end Darren Waller has missed the last five games because of a knee and back injuries. Yet after falling to 6-7 and seven following an embarrassing 48-9 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, the Raiders have won three straight games and head into the final week with a chance to punch their ticket in the postseason. On Sunday, the Raiders beat the Colts with a game-winning field goal. They're currently the 8th seed, but a Week 18 win over the Los Angeles Chargers would elevate them over the Chargers in the playoffs. In Week 4, Las Vegas lost to Los Angeles on the road. With a win in the season finale, the Rangers, excuse me, the Raiders can exact revenge on their divisional rival by propelling themselves to the postseason and sending the Chargers home for the offseason. What a game that's going to be. It's been moved into, into the primetime slot. And transitioning to the NFC now. Following a Week 11 bye, the Los Angeles Rams won five of six games. In December, they closed the gap on the Cardinals and surpassed them in the standings. Now Los Angeles sits in the driver's seat for the NFC West title and the number two seed in the conference. Next week, if the Rams snap a five-game losing streak to the 49ers, they'll avoid a road game in the wildcard round and win their first division title since the 2018 season. If Los Angeles falls to the Niners again and the Cardinals beat the Seattle Seahawks, the Cardinals would finish in the top spot in the NFC West. The Cardinals host the Seahawks, which seems to be an advantage for the home team, but Arizona has a 3-4 and four record at State Farm Stadium. After scoring 51 points against the Detroit Lions, the Seahawks could play spoiler and pull off an upset, and honestly, I hope they do as a Rams fan. And speaking of the Niners, the 49ers can, 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 excuse me, let me slow down. The 49ers can clinch a playoff spot with a win, but they must beat a Rams club that's on a five-game winning streak. If the Niners lose, the Saints would claim the seventh seed with a victory over the Atlanta Falcons. In Week 10, the Niners dominated the Rams, absolutely dominated, 31-10 with an effective ground game, 156 rushing yards, and a stifling defense. However, the Rams have caught fire since then. On top of that, rookie quarterback Trey Lance may have to start over Jimmy Garoppolo, who missed Sunday's game with a torn UCL and a fractured bone in his thumb. While Lance had a decent performance against the Texans Sunday, he would face much stiffer competition in a matchup with defensive tackle Aaron Donald and cornerback Jalen Ramsey on the opposing side. The Saints don't have much of a cakewalk either. In Week 9, they lost to the Falcons 27-25 at home. New Orleans has, has to split the season series with Atlanta and root for the Rams to knock the Niners out of the playoff picture. So that is our playoff picture through week 17 of the NFL season. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode number 300 and something of the Sean Sports Stop podcast. And I'll see you guys on the next one.